Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chick days. All eyes are on how an already disrupted supply chain will be further impacted by what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, and the rest of the world. Fertilizer is a big part of that conversation in the agriculture sector. Gaji Balakanishan is the chief operating officer at Midwestern BioAg. Gaji, your bread and butter at Midwestern BioAg is fertilizer. So what goes through your mind as this situation unfolds? Yeah, I guess the first thing is obviously the just the people of Ukraine. And, you know, you've seen kind of a widespread condemnation has been happening. So everybody wants it to end as quickly and it's with as little bloodshed as possible. Um, so my understanding is that this war is more likely to be derailed by policy rather than warfare. So economic sanctions, targeting of Russian oligarchs on the run, severing Russia's ability to conduct international trade could effectively defund this war and sap the political willpower to continue it. And all of those actions will have an impact on the pricing of fertilizer and of crop prices globally. Everything that happens overseas, not on our soil, does have impact on the ground here in Wisconsin. Why don't you just explain to us how does the unrest, the war going on, impact your business, whether you know it's supply chain, whether it's sales? Russia is huge in agriculture. And let's keep in mind that we're not just talking about Russia. There's Belarus and the Ukraine. That region is a major contributor to both crop production globally as well as fertilizer production. So I believe Russia is about 10% of global ammonia production, and Russia and Belarus combine for around 40% of globally traded potash exports. And lastly, Russia ballpark is about 10% of the global cereal trade. So I think all of, all of the actions happening right now are going to pressure all of those prices upwards. Are you guys having to halt sales of anything or, you know, slow down just to make sure you're able to have ample supply or just keep an eye on that supply chain? Oh, yeah. We, we had to take a, a, a little break on Friday when all of our vendors pulled their prices immediately as soon as uh, news broke about the Russian invasion. So I think everybody's on edge. We were, you know, as an industry, not well positioned leading up to this um, in general. And this is just more fuel to the fire of uh, what's going on in the fertilizer world. You know, as energy prices go up, I think most people understand that nitrogen prices will follow. But there's been uh, supply disruptions across everything. So from uh, P&K to calcium and uh, basically everything that I take a look at, I think we'll, we'll be back out here shortly, um, certainly the beginning of this week, because, you know, it's, it's hard to not make sales this close to spring as we just kind of gathered up our position and um, what the kind of suppliers have been doing and uh, adjusting prices. We'll get back out there so our growers can place their orders and get positioned for spring as product is still available. When people say, well, why don't we just start producing those fertilizer ingredients here in the U.S. to solve that problem, what's your response? Well, we do uh, ammonia production in the U.S. So I actually came from uh, CF Industries, which is the largest producer of nitrogen fertilizers in the world. And it's a U.S.-based company, publicly traded, and the vast majority of production is here in the U.S. But these are globally traded products. Uh, These commodities move all around the world. And 
when there's a supply disruption, things kind of rebalance so that they go to where they're needed. And, you know, if people want um, to have more security for the U.S. supply, then they have to be thinking about asking their legislators to make some sort of uh, move on keeping more product at home. And we see that in other countries globally. We don't really do that here. You know, if, you're, if we're not going to take those sort of actions, then we're going to see the same sort of price moves across the world. Gaji, what's your advice to farmers dealing with high input costs already? You know, whether they're your customers or not, from your point of view, what should farmers know moving forward into the planting season? Well, we've been preaching to our buyers since summer that there's no reason to wait around on your purchasing decisions. All signs have been pointing up for the last year. So nothing's changed. It's only gotten worse. So if you're able to buy, this is, you know, now is probably a better time than later. The thing to note is that in a free market economy, when buyers most want to buy is when sellers least want to sell. And also important to note is that input production, so NP and K, basically 24-7, 365, but the sales are pretty lumpy. So there's summer fill, you know, there's the, there's the amount that gets sold in season uh, for spring. So the two might not be well correlated. So it's possible that 90% of input demand was already purchased and committed to for the season. And the sky high prices we're seeing now is just for that last little bit that producers have left to sell. But I, I seriously doubt that's the case. And there's just been too many disruptions to supply. So we, I think we're actually looking at potential shortages of NP and K. Is there any solution to that or is it just something we have to deal with? No, we're, we're just going to have to deal with it. I think the thing that most people uh, might not have realized is that when COVID hit, all businesses really, really hunkered down and cut spending and were trying to prepare for the long haul. So when demand came back quickly, they were caught flat-footed. This is kind of across the board. So it takes production a longer time to ramp up and think about the fact that there's scarcity of everything. So there might have been delayed maintenance spending, uh, delayed capital improvements at production facilities. And so as demand took off, they might have wanted to um, do some of those activities if they were willing to give up on near-term demand. But even if they wanted to, it doesn't mean they could get the supplies needed from their vendors. So we saw a lot of production get hit when the plants were not ready to meet the, the demand coming back so quickly. So I think we're all just going to have to live with it for the upcoming season. Gaji, why should consumers care about the tightness on this supply chain? There's a time lag, but our consumers are going to see these prices hitting the shelves uh, in the not-so-distant future. I think people have seen kind of surprise uh, gas bills, uh, energy bills this winter for heating, and there's going to be some of that same reaction when restaurants and grocery stores have to raise their prices um, in the coming months here. Do you see any opportunities or silver linings for your business amidst this crisis? It's all relative, but I do. Uh, We focus on soil health, and one of the biggest impacts of that is really just maximizing nutrient use efficiency. So it's pretty common for a lot of growers to build up their P&K reserves when prices are lower so that they can cut back on their spending during times like this. But studies have shown that typically only 10% of soil P&K is actually plant available. So there are soil organisms which solubilize that P&K and raise those percentages can be up to 30 40% for K and 80 to 90% for P. And that's our wheelhouse. That's what we do. So we can help growers access more of those nutrients near-term and drive greater efficiency long-term. 
So we typically have our best years during peak input pricing years like this. I guess in general, the, the other thing to think about is that COVID also jump-started the push for sustainability, right, where people have been talking about it for a very long time and nothing's ever really happened. Well, it, it seems like COVID really kick-started those sort of efforts. So things have really started taking off there. And critically for farmers is that there seems to be an appetite for spending to support that. So it's not just being asked to increase their uh, production costs for no reward. I think we're starting to move to a phase where um, people can get paid for you know, adopting more sustainability practices or literally get paid for them through various uh, funding efforts, both through the government and through private enterprises. And lastly, I think this might be a little counterintuitive, but I think this is the best time to consider transitioning land to organic. And that's because while uh, organic fertilizers tend to be a premium to conventional fertilizers, when all fertilizer prices go up, that premium drops to a much smaller basis, uh, relatively speaking. And the sky-high conventional crop prices more than offset the cost of uh, the, the organic fertilizer premium. So what you see is this is probably the best time to consider transitioning because you don't have to look at it as a net investment period for these two years when you're selling conventional crops with organic input costs. And nobody ever expects these periods to last five years, right? So by the time the conventional crop prices come off, you're able to sell a certified organic crop and get that typical premium, which as of late, has, as that's at the last year or two, typically two times the conventional price. So you can have a, a vast improvement in your profitability per acre if you can jump in now. Well, there you have it. If you've been thinking about transitioning to organic, now may be the time. Gaji Balakanishan is along with us, the Chief Operating Officer at Midwestern BioAg. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.